You know, it seems like we're in the hunt every year, right? Every year we're a contender for this thing. And I went on Wikipedia because, you know, you'll feel, oh, Vikings are never going to win it. But we win a ton of games. I went on Wikipedia to see, like, where do we rank among, among the sports teams? We're the sixth winningest football team of all time. So out of the 32 teams, we're number six. This is incredible. See, the problem comes that we compare, uh, spend most of our time, though, comparing ourselves to number two on the list of winningest teams of all time. And that's the Packers, right? They've won, they have. They've won more games. They're the second winningest team of all time. And they've got more Super Bowls. And so, you know, that's a bummer. But the one thing that I'm excited about today is that our team has more faith than them. That was Kirk Cousins talking about how God is the foundation of his life. And the same week that Kirk Cousins started talking about his faith, Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Packers, uh, started talking about the reasons why he's renounced his faith. So at least the Vikings, we've got them in that area. But I wanted to go through what Aaron Rodgers said because it's very influential. People care what these people say. These, these sports stars, they, we listen to what they have to say, and there's many people who've probably been influenced by this, or you might have been influenced by hearing these arguments from other people. And so I'd love to go through what Aaron Rodgers said and talk about it. He said, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. And because it's sort of binary, it's us and them, it's saved and it's unsaved, it's heaven and hell, it's enlightened and heathen, it's holy and righteous and sinner and filthy. I think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. They say, oh, I've got Jesus and I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and there's only 144,000 of us going, even though there's 7 billion people on the planet. I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet in a fiery hell. Like what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? Ultimately, it was that, rules and regulations and binary systems don't really resonate with me. So I want to go through and talk a little bit about that. While we're talking about that, if you want to open up to Genesis chapter 19 with us, we're going to continue our sermon series, reading through the book of Genesis. We're calling this part Rescued, talking about how God rescues all those who want and love him from his judgment upon evil and sin. And if you have someone who's, you know, fifth grade or younger, we have children uh, child care available. I encourage you to use that this morning. Uh, if you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, there's some subjects in there which may not be appropriate for uh, people who are younger than fifth grade. Honestly, they're really not appropriate for adults either. It's just that this is the world we live in, and the Bible deals with real life. And so this might be one of those Sundays where you want to take advantage of our child care. Every once in a while, I forget to, forget to give that disclaimer, and then I see all the moms and dads rushing to cover the ears of their children halfway through, and then I remember my mistake. Uh, so I'm glad I remembered it today. But here, Aaron Rodgers repeats some of the most common objections against Christianity. So I'd love to go through those a little bit. The first, he says that religion can be a crutch. And that's his criticism against religion. Now, I don't understand where the message got uh, uh, twisted there. But, you know, this isn't a flaw. This is literally a feature. This is our message. I don't know why he would think it's a negative. Like, the message of the church is, do you need a crutch? Are you broken? Do you need healing? Because that's where this happens. It's through God that we receive those things. And so this isn't something to, like, we're not hiding this. Like, oh, don't let them know that, that we're weak and we need a Savior. No, this is like, this is literally our, what we have to offer to the world. We are a crutch for each other. God working through us is a crutch for each other. It's to give us strength to get through. And more than that, I need more than a crutch. I need a healer. I need a Savior. Jesus just isn't our crutch. He's the one who heals us. 
So this isn't a this isn't a flaw. If anybody says religion is a crutch, they thank God. Thank the Lord for my crutch. I thank God for my healer. I thank God for my savior. I thank God for the strength that I get. I couldn't make it without it. Thank you, Lord. And Aaron Rodgers says the next thing he says is that it can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. Yes. Again, yes, he's getting it. He's saying it in a negative way, but he, he, at least he's getting the message here. Yes, this is something that we have to have to make ourselves better. Have you looked at the world? Have you looked at the emptiness of the world? Like, I need something more than what the world has to offer. I found nothing to be ultimately fulfilling, not even close, but Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in me. Like, that's where I get my joy. I find that nothing else in this world leads to lasting fulfillment. It's all fleeting. If you try to find your joy in money or, or success or careers or relationships, they'll all let you down at some point. And your faith and trust, your strength, your foundation has got to be in something greater. I need the Lord to make me feel better. And I haven't found nothing like it. I found no joy comparable to the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes. And at some point, Aaron Rodgers is going to no longer have the millions of dollars and the movie star girlfriend after movie star girlfriend to distract himself from finding ultimate fulfillment. He's going to read, he realized he needs to feel better too. And I hope that he remembers his upbringing at church at that time and turns his heart to the Holy Spirit. And then he says something that's very interesting. He says, oh, it's us and them, it's, it's sinners and, and righteous, and there's 144,000 of us going, even though there's 7 billion on the planet. Now, he's quoted a, a verse from Revelations, and here he shows he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. The number 100, now there are some Christians who believe this is literal, small group of people. This is not a literal number, it's a symbolic number. And it's not meant to be stingy, like there's 7 billion people on the planet and God wants to condemn them, as Aaron Rodgers says in a minute, God who wants to condemn them. That's not Christianity at all. If you've read the Bible, God wants no one condemned. That's what he wants, he wants all people saved, but he will judge and destroy evil. That's not his desire. God wants all people to come to him. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 2, God desires the salvation of all people. If you read Ezekiel, God gets the pleasure of the destruction of none of the wicked. That's not God's heart. The number 144,000 isn't like a stingy, there's only 144,000 and the rest die. No, like the number 144,000 is actually, to me, the exact opposite of the way Aaron Rodgers is using it here. In Revelations, it says there's 144,000 people worshiping God around his throne. And that's a picture of heaven. And where that comes from is there's 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, right? God's people. There were 12 tribes. It's a number of completeness because of that. Number 12 symbolizes completeness. And we're thinking about heaven. It's complete. It's fantastic, right? It's complete. God has finished his work. All the people who love him have been saved. That's what the number means. It comes from number, number 12, which is completeness. 12 times 12,000 out of each one of those tribes, 12,000 people have been saved. If you're back in the year 100 AD and you're looking for some sort of symbolic, powerful number, what do you have? You've got the number 12, which symbolizes completeness. But heaven, it's, it's so much more unimaginable than that. It's, it's 12 times 12,000. What's the completest thing we've got? Well, thousands of 12s. And so it's the complete opposite of that. It's, God's salvation is thorough. It's not a single person who loves God has been left behind. Heaven is complete. It's the complete opposite of message of what he gets. Aaron Rodgers doesn't say, God doesn't, God doesn't want to condemn. He wants to save. God wants to save Aaron Rodgers. The problem is it's pretty clear that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want God. That's the issue. 
It's not that we've got a stingy God. It's that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want the generous God we have. My question for Aaron Rodgers at this point would be, knowing a little bit about him, I'm wondering if there's another reason that he's keeping himself from Christianity. And if you've believed in any of these arguments, that'd be my question to you too. Is there something in your life that you love more than God that you know you'd have to give up if you turn to him? Maybe it's a sin, a sin that you love doing that you don't want to give up. Maybe it's viewing yourself as the victim and having self-pity and blaming everyone else that you just don't want to give up. But none of these arguments are very compelling at all. I think there's another reason why Aaron Rodgers is rejecting Christ. And just knowing a little bit about who he is, my question to him would be, is it that you just want to go from movie star girlfriend to movie star girlfriend, treating them however you want and trading them in whenever you'd like, and you just don't want to feel any guilt for how you treat people? I'm wondering if that might be more of why he is looking to reject the Lord. Because none of these arguments are very good. None of them are even accurate about the religion that he is criticizing. 1 Timothy 2, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants Aaron Rodgers. My question to Aaron Rodgers would be, do you want God? And then finally, I think we get to the real underlying reason of why he's rejecting God. He says, rules and regulations, they don't resonate. Rules and regulations don't resonate. I knew it. I knew it. There's a rule that he doesn't want to follow. He wants to play with evil. He wants to enjoy it. He wants God to get off his back. Don't give me those rules and regulations about how to love other people. They don't resonate with me. What resonates with me is doing what I want to do. And here is a list of the people that Aaron Rodgers has treated as his wife for a season and traded when it's no longer been convenient. And Aaron, the rules and regulations exist for a reason. God's plan for our sexual behavior is between a man and a woman for a reason because it is unloving to treat people as commodities, to be traded, to be consumed when it's convenient and you desire them and traded when you don't. I wouldn't want my daughter to meet a man like Aaron Rodgers. And in a moment, in Genesis 19, we're going to look at more people who are wanting to reject God's plan for their sexual behavior. And Aaron Rodgers lays out his logic and says rules and regulations don't resonate with him. And I'm sure many of his ex-girlfriends would love to find some defensive ends who the rules and regulations don't resonate with them either. I'm sure the rules and regulations resonate with Aaron Rodgers when it's not getting hit after the whistle, when it's not taking a helmet-to-helmet shot to the head. Then I'm sure Aaron Rodgers loves the rules and regulations. It's only the rules and regulations that cause him from hurting people that he doesn't like. It's the rules and regulations that protect him. I'm sure he loves them deeply. And then before we move on, I just wanted to, to talk about one other thing that Aaron Rodgers talked about, because this is the latest buzzword against Christianity, binary systems. This is going around, all, all the you know, atheists are using this. Binary systems are too simplistic. They don't resonate with me. They don't capture the truth and complexity of life. You hear this all the time. From, from salvation, heaven and hell, to God's plan for our, our gender, male and female. Like Binary system means there's just two options. In computer world, it's a one or a zero. In, in morality, it's a good or it's evil. Um, in, you know, binary systems, they're, they're found everywhere. It's a yes or a no, it's black or it's white, it's one or the other. It's just two, two options. It's simple. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not true. It's so strange that 
this is going on. It's clearly nobody's ever thought about this critically because there are true binary systems all over. So many, I can't even think of them. I mean, it's just starting with our existence. Either you exist or you don't. It's a binary system that's true. Either you're alive or you're dead. You're awake or you're asleep. You have sight or you're blind. I mean, just one after the other, we function in many binary systems, all of them true, all of them very simple, but all of them true. In fact, if you've got a Super Bowl trophy or you don't is one of those binary systems. Either you're a winner in the football game or a loser. Next time Aaron Rodgers wants to celebrate a winning football game, yeah, we won, tell him, hey man, that's too simplistic. Winners and losers doesn't resonate with me. You haven't captured the complexity of the game. But this is something that atheists use to, to look down on Christians. Don't ever let anybody look down on you for your faith. The Bible captures the world. Aaron Rodgers could learn a lot from the scriptures, as we've seen already. The Bible captures the complexity of life. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. God's word is amazing. Don't let anyone look down on you. This, this simple man could learn a lot from the sophistication of scripture. He thinks scripture is simple. He thinks Christianity is simple. This is a man who it never occurred to that 144,000 might be symbolic. Like, don't ever let anyone look down on you for your faith as being simple. It's just a way to say, I'm rejecting it. Aaron Rodgers needs to repent of his pride. And I need to repent of my sin. I'm no less prideful, and I find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's the message of Christianity. He's my salvation. He's the crutch for this sinful person. He's my healer. He's my savior. He can more than, more than willing to forgive Aaron Rodgers of her, his sin, more than willing to forgive you of your sin? The question is, isn't do we have a just and loving God? The question is, do we want him? If we want him, he will save us. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading the book of Genesis. Continuing our reading of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, verse 1, it says, The two angels came to Sodom, in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. And they said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate and so hospitality was a, was a real gift of ancient cultures. Uh, when people traveled from town to town, it was like almost like a life-risking thing. It was very dangerous to travel. It's very difficult to travel. And so if people came to your city, you would be hospitable to them. Oftentimes you take in complete strangers who were traveling. And uh, Lot is clearly being hospitable to these angels, but his response is not explained simply by mere hospitality of, of foreign travelers and strangers. Like he bows down to them. It's an act of worship, right? He's bowing down. My lords, like Lot is someone who for his many faults, and we're going to read about his many faults as we go through the, the book of Genesis. Lot, for his many faults, he's clearly someone who respects and reveres God. He's got such respect that he sees these men of God coming. He knows there's something different about them, and he bows down. Now, the scripture doesn't say what Lot actually believes about them, but clearly he, he believes there's something different about them. That's why he gives them an act of worship. Bowing down and saying, come, turn aside to my home. And Lot persists. He knows there's something special about them. They say, no, we'll just spend the night. He says, no, come to my home. And he persists. He presses them strongly. And here we have a great contrast between Lot, a man who refer reveres and respects and fears God, and the people, the rest of the people in the city. 
Lot presses them. He tells them, come to my home so I can show you kindness and care. While the rest of the city, as we're going to read in a few verses, presses the angels to do something completely unmentionable and against their will. And you couldn't have a stronger contrast between the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who reject God and have no respect for him versus Lot. Last week we talked about Last week we talked about the first part of this story where Abraham is talking with God, uh, reminding God to be just and loving because we know, we already read last week about how God is going to destroy this city. And Abraham has been obviously shocked at that and is, wants to make sure that God is going to be just and, and righteous and not destroy any righteous people with the wicked. Of course God wouldn't do that, but Abraham doesn't know that because he needs to know God better. We talk about a lot of times we blame God for things that he has nothing to do with and instead he stands against those things with us and promises to fix them for us and oftentimes we just need to get to know God better. If you missed that sermon, I'd encourage you to go online to ccblaine.org and listen to it. As well, you can open up your favorite podcast player and type in Cornerstone Church of Blaine and listen to those. That way you're not missing anything because one sermon builds off the next. And we read last week about the same God who's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah is also the same God who's willing to leave the 99 to find the one and make sure that every single person who loves him is saved. And this is exactly what we have happening right here. These angels, they have left heaven. They are on a mission from God to find and seek every single person in that town who loves the Lord, and they found the only one. The same God who judges and destroys evil is the same God who goes out in search of every single person who wants him and makes sure that every single person who wants him makes it into the presence of the Lord and avoids that destruction. And here they have left their comfort. They've left the 99. They've left the 144,000 worshiping in heaven. They've left that to seek and save the one person who respects and reveres the Lord who needs salvation. Last week we talked about how many people read the Bible and judge God for being too cruel. They read that he destroyed a city. And the only cities that they're familiar with are Andover, Coon Rapids, Ham Lake, Anoka. Clearly, as we read the Bible, this city is nothing like those cities. Reading on verse 7, it says, But before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man surrounded the house. And they called Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So it's like people read this passage, or maybe they never even read it. I'm guessing they've never even read it, but they find that God has done these acts of judgment and destroyed people. And they say he destroyed a city. Well, it would be terrible if Andover was just getting ready for bed, tucking the kids in at night, and then a fiery ball of heaven destroyed them. What kind of God would do such a thing? Right? And they have outrage. I'm guessing they're not really outraged. I'm guessing they don't actually care about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm guessing it's more of an excuse to reject the Lord and do what they really want. However, that is the criticism. And people are so interesting. If you actually sit down and read the Bible, I don't think we can judge God for being too cruel to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not a city like Andover or Coon Rapids. Look at the emphasis here. Look at what is going on. The people come out. All of the men. 
All of the men, both the young ones, the little ones, and the old ones. Down to the last man, every single person comes out to know these visitors to this town. And the verb to know them doesn't mean that they want to take them out for coffee and find out about their favorite movie, see what sports teams they cheer for, find out about your family, what kind of kids. What are you? Tell me about your kids. No, it means a sexual act. They're going to force themselves on these angels sexually. This is their desire. Everyone's turned out from the city to do this. This is, this is bad stuff. This is a homosexual gang rape with 100% town participation. This is not a city that has had God's word or followed God's word or feared God or revered God in any way. And Lot's response, verse 8, he says, Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, Lot gives the weirdest response ever. I mean, it's really weird. Lot's not a perfect man by any means. I have two daughters. I can't imagine ever giving this sort of response. That's absurd. The only thing that would even go to explain this to any measure is that Lot knows that these are angels from heaven. And he's got to do whatever he can to protect them. That's the only thing that explains it. And, and what he does is he, he does something, and it's, I wouldn't commend him. However, it's a terrible situation he's been put in. You got the town trying to break down your doors to rape some visitors who are clearly angels from God. And so he's in a, he's in a difficult situation. I don't think we should necessarily think that God is pleased by his offer to the daughters, but it does show the depravity of the men of the town. They're tired of raping the people in town. Even the, the men in each other, they're lost out of control. They've gone from the women to the men, and, and they're no longer enjoyable. They've come for the visitors. They need something new. They're lusting out of control. And this is the way lust works. It starts with a little bit here and a little bit until, I mean, you know, the people who get into child pornography and pedophiles, I'm sure they don't start that way. It starts a little here and a little there. It starts be being maybe abused yourself by seeing something that you shouldn't have seen. That no longer thrills you, and you go farther and farther down into sexual addiction. And here, this is the state of the city. And clearly, Lot's response, again, while misguided, you know, I don't really mean to criticize him too much because of the situation he's in, but it shows that he has such respect for God, he's willing to sacrifice his own family to honor God. And it couldn't be more in contrast to the sinful people of the city. And they said, stand back, get out of our way. They said, this fellow came to sojourn, meaning Lot. He came here, he's not, Lot's not from Sodom and Gomorrah, he's, he's almost a visitor himself. He's come to live there. He hasn't been there that long. He's become the judge, they say, about Lot. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. Just like Lot pressed the angels, why don't you come in, in here so I can honor you? So they're pressing to do complete evil. It's a greater contrast could not be had. And if it wasn't for a miracle, the men reached out with their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. If it wasn't for a miracle, those men would have gotten what they wanted. And the incredible thing is, is they're standing to Lot saying, 
Who are you to judge us? Have you heard that from our culture before? Have you heard that from people who want to reject God? Who are you to judge me? This is a gang rape group telling Lot, how dare you judge us? And that same argument will come from the most vile parts of our society. And I don't mean to stand up here now, and I could, and it's somewhat helpful even to stand up here and highlight the parts of our society which are terribly evil. I think they get enough press already. If you want to find out about the perversion of the state of our society, they find lots of news stories and things on that. But that same argument is given by all those rejecting God's plan for their sexual behavior as well. Frankly, who are you to judge us? And they'll even quote the Bible. They'll quote Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, if you actually read Matthew chapter 7, it's about how the righteous judge. We need to be careful when we judge. We need to be very sensitive. We need to be repentant when we judge. We need to make sure that we have repented, that we are in tune with God's spirit and his word, making sure that our spiritual blindness is not causing us to judge people unfairly. We need to be humble and remember that we deserve judgment for our sin just as bad as others, but then we are to judge. That is actually part of our job as the church. We judge. A spiritual man, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, a spiritual man judges all things. If you ever bring God's word to someone and they say, judge not lest ye be judged, feel free to stand back and say, 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, a spiritual person judges all things. I'm judging this as sin. This is something that needs to change and stop. And we hear Lot has begged them, stop. And they've said, who are you to judge us? Now, obviously, we aren't, our society is not at the place of Sodom and Gomorrah yet. Not even close, thank God. But the stuff that started to happen out in the open is very disturbing. It's really gross. The stuff that has happened behind closed doors is even worse. Sarah and I went, uh, we know a friend, and she came over uh, last year and was uh, talking about how she was uh, starting to address uh, with her parents um, that she had been abused, sexually abused uh, repeatedly by a family in the town when she was a child and just wanted to know what her parents knew about it. Because how, you know, how could this have gone on? You know, how could my parents not have known? And, you know, she's telling about this and was describing how this family went to her church. And during the sharing of the peace, you know, they'd stand up and shake hands with their parents. And the stuff that goes behind closed doors is, it's unbelievable. And it happens to so many people. You know, since I've become a pastor, the amount of people who have confided in me and told them that they were abused as children is unbelievable. And that's just the number of people who have shared that. Can't imagine how many people haven't. And this happens in our society, right? Where we've had 2,000 years of God's word, and I praise God for that. Our culture is nothing like this because, for the most part, our culture has been transformed by the word of God, Western society, following God's word. It's an amazing place to live. It really is. But the stuff that is still out there. In Sodom and Gomorrah, it's just they finally won the battle. The perverts finally won the battle in Sodom. And now they've just converted the whole town to perversion. That's the only difference. The same kind of stuff happens here. It's just they have to hide it. 
But Miroslav Volf, who's a theologian, which people read in the seminary now, and they should, he's fantastic. He talks about how it's only in the first world that people get upset about a God of judgment. Because here we have everything we want, and many of us just want to be free to oppress or break God's rules. And so a God of judgment is offensive to us. Why would God judge us? And he says in the third world, we don't find a God of judgment offensive. It's our deliverance. It's our hope. In the first world, we have, you, for the most part, we haven't experienced the type of evil that they experienced in the third world. They said, my village men came through with AK-47. They did terrible things to the women. I mean, we want a God of judgment. And Aaron Rodgers says, what kind of God would judge and condemn the world? The God of love who says no more. No more will people shake the hands of the parents of the children they abuse. We need God's judgment. The faster, the better. God, come. Lord Jesus, come and deliver us from the evil that we experience in this world. And I thank God for our culture. I thank God for my upbringing. When I hear stories like that, it makes me thank God that there's people in this nation who have followed God in the past and that we still experience a culture transformed by their faith. But we need to be praying for our society because I want my daughters to grow up in a world that's safe. That's more safe than it is today. I want my girls to grow up in a society where even people like Aaron Rodgers are called out for how they treat women and how they treat other people. I don't want my daughters to encourage someone like that. I don't want someone like that's behavior to be accepted in society. We need a revival. They wear themselves groping at the door. I think we've talked enough about their wickedness and are all sufficiently disgusted. We can keep going. So the men reached out their hands. They brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. These, the angels, they bring Lot back. They strike the men with blindness. And the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Because it's time to judge. Sons-in-laws. Sons, daughters, or anyone you have in here, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Sometimes it's more merciful to give people their choice. If people thoroughly reject God, it's more merciful to just remove them from the presence of the earth and from the presence of other people. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. Like, <laughs> it's sort of like Noah with the boat, as we read in Genesis chapter 6. Kind of the same thing. Stuff like this doesn't just happen. Lot, <laughs> you're so silly for believing these sort of fairy tales. That's a good joke. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men, they, he's, even he's not getting it. No, no, we're going to destroy the town, man. Get up. And they seized him and his wife and his daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, and lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough 
to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. It is not, is it not a little one, and my life will be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken of. Escape there quickly. I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. And the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord from heaven. And God judges everyone in that city. He gives everyone their choice. How they will no longer be in his presence. This is what they wanted. This is what they desired. And God gives them that choice. And God will give you your choice. What kind of God sends people to hell? Well, God only sends people to hell who want to go there. And if you want God, you'll want Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is the personification of good. Now, a lot of people will convince themselves, and I remember thinking this way a lot too. I was born again when I was 19. I remember thinking to myself, well, you know what? I'm not a bad person. I like good things. I just don't want to worship Jesus. That's just something to convince ourselves. What we'll find is that if God were to remove his presence from us, there would be nothing good in us at all. And that is what's happening. It is a binary system. It's going to be ones and zeros. It's going to be good and evil. It's simple, but it's beautiful. All the evil will be removed. Praise the Lord. And all those who want him will be saved. And here we live in this world where we're created in the image of God. However, we have sin and we've got a choice to make. There's a lot of good in us right now because God's spirit is still on the earth. But as he removes it, if we reject God, he'll take his spirit away from us. And we'll find that we are just as worthy of destruction as the people in Sodom. The only reason why we love good is there's still the image of God that we're created in. And if we reject that, there'll be nothing left. If you're looking for a great song this week, look up Ronnie Freeman on Spotify. It's called The Only Thing That's Good In Me Is Jesus. And God sends every single person to where they want to go. And if you want to be saved, God wants you. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Sarah and I went to uh, Stillwater a few months ago, and uh, back in the fall, and we just run out of things to do. And the kids are crazy, got a lot of energy. We're like, what are we going to do today? I thought, well, let's go to Stillwater. The kids have a great time. They, they have a great time doing anything, right? And so we go to Stillwater, and they did. We almost didn't even get down to the shops. They just loved running up and down the hills and the sidewalks. Never seen sidewalks with hills like that. And they run up down the little stairs and the doorways and the sidewalks. We're just having a great time. And we went and we saw the, the, the boats go underneath the bridge. We had ice cream at Leo's. We went in the antique stores. And we showed the kids this is the way life used to be. And, and this, is not, this is not what people create. This is what God creates when people follow him. And I don't think we can judge God for being too harsh in his judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah is not the type of place where you go and you can show the kids around the antique stores and look at them and have some ice cream. This is the, the town where you go to and they gang rape their visitors. And God is not too harsh in his judgment on them. He's merciful and he's loving for removing this evil from the presence of the earth. A few years ago, I used to help out at Manna Market next to, uh, at the church next to here. I used to be called Good Shepherd. And I met a Vietnam veteran. Their Manna Market is this great ministry where they gather expiring food and they give it to people who need it. Um, and like 250 families used to come to that and receive food. It was really cool. And I met this Vietnam veteran who found out I was a pastor there after you know weeks and weeks of serving there. And I got to know him. And he came and he said, uh, uh, so you're a pastor? And I was like, yeah. He goes, you believe in the God who judges and destroys cities? 
And I said, I believe in the God who saves every single person who wants him. Every single person who wants him will be saved. I said, I believe in the God who, and if you have an issue with the violence in the Old Testament, I said, I encourage you to believe in Jesus Christ, because he'll save all people who want to be saved from that violence. If you have a problem with the violence in the Old Testament, you'll have a bigger problem with Jesus. It says, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake off the dust of your feet from them when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it'll be more bearable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. When God completely rejects and destroys evil, it's going to be way worse than what the people of Sodom and Gomorrah experienced. That's what evil deserves. And if you want to be saved, I believe in the God who not only destroys evil, but saves every single person who wants him. I said, do you want Jesus? Because God wants you. The answer is to repent and believe in Jesus. If you don't want a God of judgment, then turn to God in his love and be saved from that. And I said, have you ever sinned? I find forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. Have you ever sinned? No, I never sinned. And I appreciated his honesty. And I invited him to Cornerstone. He actually came for about a month. I thought it was an incredible act of God in a man whose heart has been so hardened. But if we want to be saved, the answer is to turn to the Lord. And while God's judgment is certainly disturbing, God's judgment is certainly disturbing, we find that disturbing because we know that deep down we have sin. We fear. We fear God's judgment on us. That's why it's so disturbing. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers doesn't like a God of judgment because he knows that he's treating people like objects and that is ungodly. And while God's judgment is disturbing, there's nothing comparable to the Lord. There's nothing comparable to his goodness and his love. There's nothing that's comparable to his mercy. And what's unfair isn't God's judgment. What's unfair is his mercy. I get better than I deserve. God forgives me of my sins. He remembers my iniquities no more. He removes my sins as far as the east is from the west. And through Jesus Christ, he treats me like someone who belongs in his perfect presence. There's nothing like God. And there's no reason to look back. A loving God desires to save you from the evil of this world. There's no reason to look back at that evil and desire it because God is so good. And his love for you is so good and his, his plan to rescue is so good. There's no reason to look back. God wants to save you. God wants to save Lot. God wants to save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. God wants to save Lot's wife, but she doesn't want God either. And she's leaving and she says, well, but my town... Who knows what she had been involved in? We don't know. It doesn't say, but she can't let it go. And she turns back, and so many people cannot give up that sin, cannot trust the Lord that he's better than that sin. That forgiveness for the people who have hurt you is better. Some, so many people can't grasp that and trust the Lord in that, and they reject the Lord to hold on to their grudges. They reject the Lord to hold on to that addiction. They look back. They taste the Lord and reject him and turn back. And there's nothing that compares with God. There's no pleasure that any sin brings us that compares with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There's no reason to look back. I love my life. God has been very good to me. I have many reasons to praise God. I found nothing fulfilling, ultimately, in this life. I love my family. I love you guys. I love my job. I love my kids. But I'm not looking back. I want the Lord. What I want is, is for my kids to know the Lord. More than wanting my kids, I want the Lord. He calls me, I'm going. I'm telling them to come with me. There's nothing to look back. When you've teased to the Lord, when you know his goodness, there's no reason to hesitate. And how do you know you're ready to meet the Lord? How do you know you're ready to meet the Lord? Do you want Jesus? 
more than anything. Do you want the Lord to return now? As I've experienced becoming a more mature Christian, when I first got saved, I didn't want the Lord to come back until I got married. I didn't want the Lord to come back until I had kids. I didn't want the Lord to come back before the third Lord of the Rings movie came out. That was in 2003. I became born again in 2001. I was like, I hope we get two more years out of this. I want to see how this story ends. But as I've grown in maturity and knowing who God is, there's nothing that holds me back. The last words of the Bible, Revelations 22.20, is come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Come now. There's nothing in your future on this world which will be better than meeting the Lord Jesus. And if you want to be saved, all God wants is for you to repent and believe in Jesus. He already wants you. And after the service, we're going to have a prayer team in the back. If you've never repented of your sins and committed to the Lord, if you don't know where you're going, and you want to mark today as the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and have confidence in where you're going, then I encourage you to go back after the service and pray with the prayer team and accept Jesus Christ. And if maybe there's a reason that you're turning back, there's something in your life that is keeping you from growing in the Lord, that's taken God's spot on your list of loves, and you want to pray for freedom from that, that's another reason why our prayer team is back there. It's a spiritual battle. Other things draw our hearts away from the Lord. And we need people who are filled with the Holy Spirit to pray for us and give us strength, and we'll be doing that after the service as well. And let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for your mercy. And Lord, as we open our hearts in worship to you in response for your great love for us, for your desire to save us from the evil of this world, God, as we, as we worship you, I pray you'd fill our hearts with your spirit that we can view these songs as weapons against what Satan wants to do in our lives, that these songs which focus us on God and his will and his desire for us, they focus us on what God wants to do. God, I pray that you would bless us so that as we worship, we would realize that we are engaging in a spiritual battle, that all of this life is a spiritual battle, and we need to be fighting that with faith in you. And so, God, as we worship, I pray that you'd fill us with faith in you. And Lord, we pray that you bless this offering, which we're about to receive as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.